are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Thursday here on Locked On Dolphins, and you already know what that means. It's time for the Locked On crossover series to continue. We'll be joined by Cody Roark of Locked On Broncos today for a very good conversation regarding two teams that are trending in opposite directions and having inverse expectations over the course of the preseason and the summertime versus what reality has materialized for both teams. But as promised, we do power to the pod on Tuesdays, in which we field your Twitter questions and your iTunes reviews questions of the show. Success comes with a heavy cost because there is an insurmountable amount of questions. We will tackle those today. But today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league. The League of Football Watchers this football season is different. And Pepsi's here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi. Made for football watching. Today on the show, you'll get a very healthy dose of Dolphins-Broncos conversation. But I also wanted to revisit these Twitter questions because we had closed 60 this week. And there's no way between iTunes reviews and Twitter questions, I'm going to cover that much ground in a very short amount of time. So to honor all of you staying so engaged with the podcast and caring about this community's opinions of whatever is on your mind, I wanted to make sure we spent the time today ahead of the Locked On crossover with Locked On Broncos discussing and revisiting some of your questions. So, for example, Jack left a question. In the past two weeks, the Dolphins offense has taken on the number one and number two offenses in the NFL from a yardage perspective, and our defense has performed well. What different challenges and opportunities do the Broncos present in Week 11? The challenge for the Broncos... The challenge that Broncos will present, I should say, is a very different challenge than what you experience when you are facing the Arizona Cardinals or the Los Angeles Rams or or any of these other high, higher-profile teams because the Broncos are not having a good season. Let's call a spade a spade. The Broncos are 3-6. and six. Their second-year quarterback, Drew Locke, is regressing at an alarming rate. He threw four interceptions against the Raiders. He is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL when pressured. He's one of the most inaccurate quarterbacks in the NFL this year. And their backup quarterback, Brett Rippon, raises a different set of alarms because he doesn't have great arm strength, unlike Drew Locke. So if you face Brett Rippon, he might get the ball out on time, but much like you saw with some of the Jared Goff pressures, if the ball is out quick and the chemistry is thrown off, Miami is going to hunt the football. Miami has to avoid the focus letdown. That is the challenge for the Dolphins. In my mind, facing the Broncos is not getting lulled to sleep or complacency. Because on paper, this is a matchup that the Dolphins should prosper in. Do you have the mental fortitude and focus, which we think they do, to stay dialed in and not get a false sense of security coming into this game. Uh, ben Bruce, how did Jesse Davis look in this game 
against the Chargers. Seemed to be trailing defenders into our backfield a few times when watching live. Yes. Uh, finished charting Dolphins offensive performance yesterday. And, man, Jesse Davis sometimes just makes you want to pull your hair out. He had one rep where Savan Ahmed would have had a probably a touchdown on a long run. Jesse Davis' backside tackle on the play goes to step outside, and, and they had run jet motion on this play where Jakeem Grant had come across. And I don't know if, because the, the Chargers were bumping their linebackers, which means when the receiver goes in motion, all the linebackers shift one gap assignment to whatever direction the motion is going. So I don't know if that late motion, and that's been something that's been a problem for Miami going all the way back to the beginning of the season, is when linebackers move late at the snap, getting the right assignments. So if you want to create chaos for the Dolphins' offense and, and run fits, move your linebackers late before the snap. We had Durham Smythe stepped out on the defensive end. Well, Jesse also stepped out to the defensive end, and there's two linebackers, including Denzel Perryman, who ends up making the play, who are flowing and stepping downhill uncontested. And by the time Jesse Davis gets off of blocking Durham Smythe in the back, to transition to climb to Denzel Perryman. Denzel Perryman is through the gap, off the backside, and hunts down Ahmed for a tackle for loss on what otherwise would have been a touchdown from the high red zone. The Dolphins did not score a touchdown on this possession. So it was it was a, an individual play that, you can't guarantee Ahmed would have scored, but you'd assume Ahmed would have scored. Potentially a four-point mistake on that. And there's lots of examples of that with Jesse. So um, not an overly impressive performance, but I don't think that's necessarily new. That That's kind of been the book, but the experience with him um, is something that the Dolphins seem to covet. Uh, Robert, at this point of the year, can you do a rest of season scouting and prediction of our remaining opponents? Let's do that after the game against the Broncos because there's there's a lot of ground to be gained here in this Broncos week, not just from Miami beating the Broncos and climbing to seven and three and into a uh, effectively a proverbial tie with the Denver or with the Buffalo Bills for first place. But if you look at the landscape of the AFC's playoff contenders, in this week, Miami is currently sixth in the seeding, and they are amidst a gaggle of six, six and three football teams right now, including the Indianapolis Colts or the AFC South leaders. The Colts play the Ravens, who are two six and three teams. The Raiders, who are six and three, play the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Raiders already beat the Chiefs this year, so you can anticipate the Raiders are going to lose this one. The Colts play. The Green Bay Packers, who are 7-2. and two. You could, if you are Miami, you take care of your business. Buffalo is off. You climb to 7-3. and three. The Raiders drop to 6-4. and four. The Colts, if they lose to the Packers, drop to 6-4. and four. Either the, the Ravens or the Titans, who are the next two teams behind the Dolphins in the playoff picture, drop to 6-4. and four. So now you're six games to play. You're a game up, and you already have tiebreakers on everybody whose name is not the Vegas Raiders. And you play the Raiders head-to-head. That's a big opportunity for Miami. So let's do this. Let's see how week 11 shakes out uh, because I think there's a lot 
that can be determined over the course of Week 11 contests. Sean wants to know if, he, if I think the Dolphins will prioritize re-signing Devon Godchild this offseason. I think it is strictly a dollars and cents proposition at this point because the Dolphins, it's clear they have depth. Can they get him for a price-friendly signing? Because Zach Sealer's contract totals are in, and he's less than $3 million per year. And I'd argue Zach Sealer's a better football player at this point in time than what Devon Godchild is. That's just my opinion. Last one, because we got a very full crossover ahead of us. Steve wants to know if the mile-high altitude will pose any problems for the Dolphins, and I think it's, it's definitely something to consider, but I also think that's why it's important for the Dolphins to do what they have typically done thus far this season and get out on top of the opposition early. Don't let it be a fourth-quarter game. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. It is Crossover Thursday all across the Locked On NFL Network, and we have an AFC West versus AFC East Divisional Showdown. The Broncos hosting the Miami Dolphins, and I'm joined today by Kyle Krabs, host of Locked On Dolphins, to talk about this Sunday's matchup between a team that I think a lot of people didn't expect to be where they're at versus a team that also a lot of people didn't expect to be where they're at. And this is a story of two different football teams. I talk about the Broncos and the Miami Dolphins. Kyle, great to talk with you as always, my man. Likewise, good catching up. I know we we chatted a little bit over the course of the summer, and and now we're into the thick of the season. And like you said, kind of two teams trending in very different directions for this season. I still think the long-term forecast for both teams, there's plenty to be optimistic about. But uh, yeah, not the script I think either team expected to find themselves in at this point in mid-November. Yeah, I mean, I think when we talked during the offseason, before the NFL draft, we had a crossover just in the offseason, and nobody knew exactly what was going to happen, if Tua was going to take over at some point, if they were just going to roll with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And there was a lot of excitement about Drew Locke and the Denver Broncos, and, and it's almost like those the excitement that I think that we had when we talked about it for Drew Locke and the Broncos has dipped down, and the excitement for the Miami Dolphins of Tua has raised up a little bit. So I want to focus on asking you some questions here about this matchup on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Looking into this matchup, I mean, there was a question at the time. I think a lot of people were like, why are the Dolphins benching Ryan Fitzpatrick for Tua? Because Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing well enough for them to still win football games. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden we started to see Tua Mania, the excitement of having a young quarterback and also draft positioning because the Dolphins do own the Houston Texans first round draft pick this year. So for me, my question to you is after being able to watch Tua for three weeks on the football field, what has been your initial impression? We know that his debut, as you mentioned, was anticlimactic in a way, but the last couple of weeks we've seen a little bit more from him. Yeah, I, I think what's really stood out is some of the pre-snap alerts and RPOs that that Miami, whether it was simply a safety count as far as if they got too high safety, we're going to give the ball or not. Uh, you're seeing more and more of Tua come up out of the mesh point and throw the balls versus one-on-one. So they did it several times against the Chargers where they – had soft coverage on the outside and they ran a 10 yard speed out with Jakeem Grant and he comes up out of the mesh running backs expecting the ball offensive linemen are double teaming and climbing to the second level but it happens so fast that the ball's just out and that that was one of the really appealing parts of Tua Tagovailoa's game coming out of Alabama was how good he was at the RPO type stuff and Ryan Fitzpatrick you saw they they kind of tried to dip their toe into the water with it with Fitzpatrick and it 
it really just didn't work to be honest yeah. with you. And then they're getting out gapped in the run game. So the opportunity to have a run call on the field and know that you can come out of that if they load the box and out gap you and, and throw the ball, I think it gives the Miami Dolphins a little bit more flexibility in a snap by snap basis. And then the red zone offense is the other thing with Tua Tagovailoa's accuracy. They were hitting about 57, 58% of their red zone trips, converting them into touchdowns before the quarterback swap. And in the three game sense, they are at 80% conversion rate, eight out of 10. And one of those failed trips was a, a muff snap by Ted Karras that he bowling balled back uh, and just didn't get off the ground. So the, the red zone offense has been much, much better under Tua. Well, and you talked about Grant. I mean, he had a pretty good game against the Chargers, as we saw last week. He had a touchdown. And also, you mentioned the speed out. It's one of the things, too, I think that plays well to what the Miami Dolphins do offensively with Tua is that they do have a quick passing game, something that he's very comfortable in. And I do want to applaud, based on watching the film this week, the last three weeks, on Tua and the Dolphins, I think Chan Gailey's done a very phenomenal job of kind of fitting and making the offense to the strengths of what Tua is able to do. I think he's only going to get a little bit more comfortable. But the question I have for you now, we know the offensive line for Miami is very young. But then you talk about you lose Miles Gaskin at the running back position. You lose Preston Williams as well. Who are the other guys? I mean, we know we can rely on Grant and obviously Devontae Parker, but who else can Tua rely on from the receiving department in this matchup considering that they lose Preston Williams and Gaskin? Well, it seemed as though Miami really wanted to get the tight ends involved against the Chargers, and some of that was each of the Chargers' three starting linebackers in their base defense were giving up opposing pass ratings in excess of 100 coming into the game. So they they ran three tight end, 13 personnel at a higher rate and clipped like three times the rate of any of the game that they played thus far this season. So I think Mike Gusecki is a name that you have to watch. Tua has tried to keep him involved. Uh, Mike did not take the advantage with some of the targets that he got in week 10 against the Chargers just because he, he didn't really come back and attack the football in the air. He, he was kind of fading or running away from Tua as he's running deep over routes and allowing defensive backs to come into the window and disrupt the pass, which for 6'5", 250, 255, you'd expect a little bit better results at the catch point. So I think that'll be a point of emphasis. But Jakeem Grant, Devontae Parker, um, they have involved less of the backs out of the backfield. Miles Gaskin, as you mentioned, was I think the third leading target receiver by the time he went out. And um, they've kind of just spaced that around and spread it around amongst Durham Smythe's getting some targets, the, uh, one of their other tight ends. It's a community effort, and I think that's why they're trying to stay fairly low volume with the passing. And, and they actually ran the ball more than they passed it in Week 10 against the Chargers. And if you play good defense and then you want to slow the game down and play possession game, which is what the Dolphins do because they trust their defense so much, uh, they, they do take the ball air out of the ball a little bit towards the end of the games. Well, and we've seen Brian Flores just absolutely dial up some phenomenal game yeah. plans. I mean, you see a lot of cover zero now. I mean, six-man pressures and, and everyone's locked up. And guess what? You can afford that luxury when you have guys like Xavier and Howard and Byron Jones on the outside to be able to lock up on the outside. So for me, I think a, a big matchup to watch this week will be those guys against guys like Tim Patrick and Jerry Judy. To me, I think it's going to be very exciting to watch. Um, but in terms of the defensive side of the ball and special teams, the Dolphins have been very spectacular in those two departments this year for them. And if they can get the offense going, Going, they're going to be a legitimate threat. Now, right now, they're still contending for that AFC East divisional uh, spot there with the Buffalo Bills. And New England's kind of creeping up there a little bit. But 
Miami's kind of been on the rise a little bit. In your opinion, what is it that you've seen from this defense so far this year on special teams that has really just made the biggest difference for them? I mean, they're, they're one of the top teams right now in terms of total takeaways from a defensive unit. What is the formula that you say has probably been the most constant for them? Yeah, so they they very much subscribe to the bend-don't-break mentality. So you're, you're watching the Los Angeles Rams, Jared Goff, finish with 380 yards uh, against the Dolphins in but in the first half, he had four turnovers and Miami jumps out to this big lead and, and he got 150 passing yards over the, the final two possessions of the ballgame for the Rams uh, after the game was well in hand. So they they try to pressure you early on in first down or create a negative play and they're really banking to get you in third and eight plus. So that mm-hmm. way they can really bring that amoeba defense onto the field and try to play those games with you. And for every one in which it's a zero blitz and they bring six or seven, there's another where they play cover three and everybody bails out and they build the picket fence at the first down markers with the other five guys. And you've got one of the best ball hawks in, in football and Xavier Howard who you know, baited Justin Herbert into the throw that he took. And you review the all 22. And, and when the receiver, Mike Williams, put his foot in the ground on the interception that Xavier Howard had against the Chargers, Howard was already downhill. He, he knew to play the sticks. It's just that kind of smart, instinctual head games that they play with teams is really where they they make their ends meet. So if you're trying to avoid that as Denver, you got to get into third and three, third and two. You got to avoid third and six plus. That's been hard for the Broncos this year, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot of questions for me about the Broncos' struggles on offense. And and like I mentioned, too, this is a, a Broncos offense that can't struggle the way that they have been against a team like Miami because Brian Flores is very smart as is, but teams have had so much success by sending six players at the Broncos quarterback, whoever it may be this season. That's going to be a big question. And Kyle's actually going to get to flip the script here in just a moment when uh, he's going to ask me about the Broncos side of things and where this team is at coming up here in just a moment. Kyle Krabs, Cody Rourke here of Locked On Dolphins and Locked On Broncos continuing this crossover series. And Cody, ahead of week 11, the big question about the Denver Broncos is, of course, going to be centered around the quarterback position with the injury to Drew Locke, uh, the bruised ribs. It seems as though he's day-to-day. What's the temperature at this point in time uh, midweek here for what we should expect to see for Denver? And is there... uh, an optimism or a hope that Drew Locke is able to play to try to bounce back from what was a really rough ball security outing against the Raiders in week 10? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think right now it's going to really be determined on how when the Broncos return back to practice today, what it's going to be like. Yesterday at practice, he was a DNP. I mean, he stood off to the side with his helmet, didn't do anything. Brett Rippon, he got a majority of the first team reps for the Broncos there and they're probably working in Jeff Driscoll a little bit. But uh, as of right now, I think really where we're going to see Drew Locke is how he practices today. If he's limited, there might be some optimism. But Broncos head coach Vic Fangio even said it that, you know, he's he doesn't probably feel too comfortable putting Drew Locke in a game if he has limited reps all throughout the week in practice. So today's going to be a big telling sign. And if he misses two consecutive days, I think you could almost make the guarantee that probably Brett Rippon would get the start for the Broncos against Miami on Sunday. And look, Brett Rippon, he made his debut against uh, another AFC East Division opponent, the New York Jets. And outside of three interceptions, he he did pretty good for the most part. He looked a lot more comfortable operating Pat Shermer's offense. Now, granted, they didn't have Philip Lindsay in that game. So now you still have Philip Lindsay. You have Melvin Gordon. You don't have a, a guy like Corlin Sutton, but you still have Tim Patrick and Jerry Judy. So there's some chemistry that these guys have with one another already. So that bodes well to their favor. But Like I said, the Broncos still need to figure out who their quarterback is of the future, and is it going to be Drew Locke? You want to be able to see that in these next seven games. So, Cody, my next question as it pertains to to Brett Rippon, who's a quarterback that I I liked a fair amount as a potential late-round guy uh, when he came out of Boise State. Um, 
what was the biggest difference in the way he operated the Broncos offense when he did get the start against the Jets and looked really good for three quarters until he had a couple turnovers in bunches late when it seemed like the Jets kind of caught on to some stuff versus what Drew Locke's done. Yeah, well, Greg Williams was sending pressure because that was the formula that defense coordinators had done because the Broncos, the previous week, they played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, and Todd Bowles just sent the house at the Broncos and Brett Rippon came in that fourth quarter against Tampa Bay and he started off, I believe it was seven for seven, eight for eight and was quick and decisive and Tampa Bay still blitzed the hell out of him. And that's one thing I think that the Jets did. They blitzed him and he was good at recognizing pre-snap. Okay, the blitz is coming from here. He understood where and timing on, on how to be able to turn his hips, get the ball out quickly. Drew Locke, on the other hand, when you watch him, it doesn't look like he, he's doing that. It looks like he's overthinking. He's staring down the first read a little bit too long, and, and that's something I've noticed on the film. But for Brett Rippon, I know it's a small sample size, but the decisiveness has probably been the biggest factor as to why I think the Broncos are comfortable with Brett, especially if he has to play against the Dolphins. Now, Cody, when we started this segment in the crossover, we, we talked about what the expectations were for both of these teams in the offseason. And obviously it hasn't gone to script for either one of these teams. What would you point to as the biggest catalyst for where things went off the rails for Denver for what the expectations were versus the reality that we've seen through the first 10 weeks of the season? You know, that's really tough to say. And I'd say one of the biggest elements was losing Von Miller before week one even happened. I mean, it was the week of the game, a few days before the game even happened. He has the, the injury. He's out for, you know, the entire season. There's a chance he could come back in the next three weeks. I mean, that's his plan. He's trying to. Um, and then outside of that, losing Cortland Sutton, you're arguably your number one wide receiving target. Now you have a bunch of young guys that are still growing, getting valuable reps. Injuries ha have a little bit of a part to it. Uh, this is an offense that didn't get much time together. But then again, no, not many other offenses around the National Football League had time to get together as well besides Tom Brady and the Buccaneers when they got together in Tampa, even though everything was quarantined. Uh, so I'd say for Denver, just their, their youth has really come back to bite them in the tail a little bit. Just execution all across the board. I mean, there's times where the Broncos... They've, they've been competitive in almost every game, minus this Las Vegas Raiders game. And, and you can make the argument about the Tampa Bay game, too. But they just look defeated against the Raiders. And losing Mike Purcell on the defensive line has been huge for them because the Broncos, in the la two times out of the last three weeks, have given up 200 total yards rushing by the opposing team, which you can't have that happen. And the Broncos' passing secondary has been very, very strong, uh, stronger than I thought it was going to be. And it's been surprising to see the drop-off on the run defense, but that's because you're without Von Miller, you're without Mike Purcell, and you're also without Shelby Harris for the third consecutive week this week against the Dolphins. So... As we look at this matchup specifically and the strengths of both teams and the weaknesses of both teams, and you talk specifically about the run defense, and that's not been an area of strength uh, for the Dolphins. Uh, Dolphins, their blueprint has been to try to assemble big physical guys that can win at the A level, but where they really struggle is by securing the block and then climbing to the B level to really fit up on the linebacker. So how much of the issues for the Broncos in the run defense has been rooted in losing so many bodies that play along the defensive line versus, you know, is there opportunities there in your opinion for Miami to get up onto these linebackers and get fit up on the linebackers, which it's really seemed to be where they've been stuck in neutral with why they're failing to get the ball moving on the ground. 
Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like just based on watching the film, I feel like the Broncos this year have been really good against the inside run, and it's really just been the outside run that's really hurt them. And it's a delayed counter where you're gonna, uh, you know, hit the counter step from the running back, you know. And what happened is, what happens is, and what's been happening consistently is that teams have been trying to seal Bradley Chubb as the outside backer, trying to get to that next level, and then you have to hope that the wide receivers are doing a good job in their one-on-one blocking. That's really been the trend for the Broncos so far, where they've given up these big rushes. They've all been big runs to the outside. So they've done pretty decent for the most part on the interior run. They, they're very good at uh, plugging the gaps. And a lot of that's attributed to Josie Jewell and also Alexander Johnson, who have really emerged as a very uh, strong linebacking duo this year in the National Football League. Outside of that, too, you have Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons, who are also coming up as run support. They've been doing a really good job, but it's just the stuff to the outside. The Broncos have to be better off the edge. So yeah, I, I think there is an opportunity there. And one thing I've noticed is sometimes the Broncos, they'll come out in a, a double three techniques from the defensive tackles. And one of the things that teams have had success on is draw, right? So this is an opportunity, I think, for Miami with Matt Breda to be able to catch him with a draw, a delayed draw. That's something that has hurt the Broncos because it allows those defensive uh, linemen to really kind of be shucked inside by the O-line. They're going to double team down initially and then climb to the next level you mentioned the a level to the b level that delay draw right there really hurts the broncos because the linebackers are reading for pass here comes the draw and then they're a little bit late stepping up that's been something that we've seen with denver this year cody my last question if you're the broncos and you're building the game plan who is the x factor player on either side of the football that hey you've got to have a huge game if we're going to pull out a win on sunday uh, if I'm the Broncos, it's got to be Philip Lindsay. Four carries in the last game against the Las Vegas Raiders. That is inexcusable for the type of player who has the talent that Philip Lindsay does. And the Broncos, they were only down 10-6 at halftime. That's no point to abandon the run game, but the Broncos did that. And it didn't help that their only position in the third quarter against the Raiders, it went from minus three yards and they were off the field with under 56 seconds. That right there is not a good formula, especially against a team like the Raiders who control the time of possession. I think with Miami struggles right now running the football, I, I think it bodes well to where the Broncos maybe don't find themselves in that situation, but I think the Broncos have to get Philip Lindsay involved. Jerry, Judy, KJ Hamler, those guys have been X factors. They've been having success, but you got to get the run game going or else none of it really matters. Kyle Krabs, Cody Roark, Locked On Dolphins, Locked On Broncos. This crossover series is finished, but the fun is just beginning because the Dolphins and Broncos play at 4 p.m. Eastern this Sunday.